According to Barna, 95% of all Christians have never won a soul to Christ. Let's change the stat. Welcome to GoCast, a podcast designed to inspire and equip pastors and leaders to lead soul-winning churches. We have a mission to go and make disciples. This is GoCast. Hey everyone, welcome to GoCast. I'm your host, Kelly Stickle, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Tim Tribble. Hey, Tim, how are you today, man? I am awesome. Man, I am so excited for this episode, yeah. episode number five of GoCast, because I get to have a conversation with my friend. Uh, he's been a friend for a long time, Pastor Leon Fontaine. Mm-hmm. He's uh, been probably one of the more insightful, impactful uh, people in my life and ministry career. I've had the opportunity of calling him my mentor and sitting down with him on many occasions having one-on-one conversations and just kind of pulling on him. He's the lead pastor of Springs Church, which yeah. is Canada's one of Canada's largest churches. He's also the CEO of the Miracle Channel. He is a brilliant uh, leader. He's yes. an amazing speaker. He travels all over the world and speaks at some of the world's largest conferences. So I'm excited to share this conversation mm-hmm. with with all of you and the impact that he's had on me. You guys are going to see that in in a minute. But let me ask you a question before we get to the conversation. All right. I remember seven years ago, uh, you guys came, you and your wife and family came and visited our church on one weekend. And next thing I know, you were moving here with no promised job. Nothing was all lined up. You just really felt called. So I want talk to me about what was it that attracted you to move to Lethbridge and to be Mm -hmm. a part of this church? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we grew up in like I'm more on the coastal area of Canada and, and in that area we were attending a church that was that was, you know, very um it was it was family to us because yeah. I grew up in it and yeah. it was very Holy Spirit driven and, and in that sense it was it was very um uh, it was great to be a part of and in a, and then when we ended up coming out to Lethbridge, we were invited down because we we're in a conference in Edmonton, we ended up coming to Lethbridge right. and experienced the service there and what happened in that service was ninety two people randomly stood up and got baptized and my wife wow. and I just yeah. completely bawled. And I don't know what it was, but it was just something that felt very real. It felt like something that wasn't forced. It felt like, it just felt like home to us. And so, you know, on our way home, we automatically decided it's like, wow, we, we are driving in the wrong direction. We need to somehow figure out a way to get back here. And uh, and for me, after looking at it back now, I think it was that paradigm between between um, being Holy Spirit driv- driven and then trying to reach loss at the same time. And where is that balance? And how do you find a structured way to do it? Wow. And that's interesting because I remember years ago, I was at a conference and I heard Pastor Leon speaking for the very first time. Mm -hmm. And something was so unique about his presentation. He was full on Holy Spirit, moved in miracles. I saw more healings in that service than any other service I've ever been a part of still to this day. And yet at the same time, a bunch of lost got saved and he ministered in such a way. And I was like, I need to know more about that, which is why I pursued him in the first place as a mentor. And a lot of what we do as a church has actually been modeled after what he does. And he... He's, he modeled this church before it was a branded in any way. Mm-hmm. But Jack Whitesell, the late Jack Whitesell, who was a mentor to me and to Pastor Leon, termed his style of church, Springs Church, as spirit contemporary, which mm-hmm. typically just simply means it's full on Holy Spirit, yeah. but it's a presentation in a contemporary way. And so we're going to unpack that. Pastor Leon's going to unpack that, how to do that. But I love in this conversation, it's it's amazing in this conversation, how he really digs into 
not just what to do, yes. but the why to, uh, of doing it. Yeah. And he's not just talking about some of the practical applications. He really dives deep in this conversation into the heart. And he makes a statement. I love it. He says, you got to be before you do. Mm. And I think this is going to be really, really powerful awesome. uh, interview and it's going to impact many of you. So let's go right now without further ado to my conversation with my friend, Pastor Leon Fontaine of Springs Church, Winnipeg. Well, hey, Leon, welcome to GoCast. It's so great to see you. So good to have you on the program. Man, whenever we talk together, it goes places. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I am too. Man, all right. For our listeners' sake, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in, in ministry. Uh, you grew up as a, a PK, of course, but uh, and your dad was an amazing pastor and, and minister. Um, but man, tell us a little bit about your journey because it's it took a little unusual turn here and there. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I grew up in a pastor's home. So I'm second generation pastor, uh, which usually is a strong negative and it means you're the worst rotters going and it means you're never going to be in ministry. <laughs> um, and you know, it, there was a lot of tough things, uh, but I don't think any family gets away from tough things. Yeah. Uh, but the one thing about my mom and dad that absolutely transformed my life was they had a fear of the Lord. Mm. I don't mean they were terrified of God. I just mean they were in awe of God and they were in awe of God's word. And never in my lifetime, even if they were going through hard things, did I ever see anything with this incredible awe. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Yep. What I've noticed about pastors' kids is they they get um, familiar with God, the word, the church, even the position their dad or mom have, which really are God things that are set up and they lose this reverence. And so our life was not perfect. I was not perfect. And so I did not want the ministry because of the way boards and people uh, would mess with my dad who yeah. came from a background of not understanding what the way I look at it today. I don't believe he understood um, running a church because of how he was trained in it, where he he would never really take strong leadership in a lot of issues because he was taught we should vote, you know, the board should decide, the congregation should decide, mm. a lot of stuff that just create a lot of heartache. So I swore I'd never pastor, and of course, uh, there a lot of unique stories where literally a prophetic word from God that rang my bell, a guy um, called me out in a foreign service and told me five things about me, put dates on them, what was going to happen if I would pursue God. And uh, <laughs> and so it was something that really woke me up. I wasn't away from God. I just, I felt like I could do more for God as a lawyer or a doctor. Right. I had, because of my sports, I had um, two or three uh, free rides in, in universities in the States to do it. And then I just pursued God. So that's a fast look at, at me coming into ministry. Yeah. So well, you, I mean, you grew up in, in uh, churches that th they were all small churches. So you never grew up in mega churches or big churches. And you saw your dad pastoring and struggling and, and, and all the rest of it. I mean, amazing man of faith, but, but never experienced the big, the big church. And then, then you took over Springs Church and man, it, it exploded. So tell us about the first few years of, of Springs Church in Winnipeg. I, I should clarify, let me go there. I'm going to say one more thing. 
I really believe in looking back at my life that the small church expression, learning to do life, where the pastor ministers to each person uh, in the gifts of the spirit, yeah. et cetera, et cetera was a far better training for me than people who are raised up in large churches. So is so systemized uh, that they, the large churches begin to think like a church is, we've got to build systems, structures, uh, leaders, and they don't realize that the building of a great church is the building of people. You build people. Up. Right, right. And there you go to the rest. So I got a chance to see my mom and dad who were Pentecostal in background, um, operate in the gifts of the Spirit, both in the church and then in their everyday life, which I never saw anyone else more or less do, whether they're getting gas, praying over a neighbor, uh, walking into a shopping mall. Uh, they would just sense and know things and walk into, there was my first look at, at Spirit Contemporary before they really knew it or, or worked on it. They were just real and they used the words and the, and the ways they were taught in. And so I had such a great heart for God, I'm not bragging about myself as much as them. Oh, yeah. man, did I believe in God? Yeah. <laughs> Was I in awe of God? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Kids joking around about speaking in tongues or ever calling a pastor down. Uh, so then when, but then as I begin to learn, I spent 14 years with mom and dad, uh, Sal and I, and then Sally and I together when we were married spent um, about 10 years married. So I was four years before as a single, 10 years with Sally. Um, and as we would express the move of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, salvations occurred on a regular basis. I felt like not having enough structures or systems was hurting it. Right. And so I would begin to speak to my dad and say, Dad, what if we were to do this? What if we were to do this? Which in his kind of older thinking way was you're trying to manage Holy Spirit mm. to take control of things that Holy Spirit should be doing. And uh, so therein lies what my first number of years. I never, you know, I, I was so convinced of the gifts of the Spirit as a paramedic for seven years, as I was dad, um, I learned to work and to move in the sense Holy Spirit. I, I, you know, I worked a lot in the gifts of the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, gifts of miracles, um, you know, things like that, that I just saw on a regular basis. So the miraculous, the gifts of the spirit um, were very normal to me. And I just thought every church was like that. Yeah. Yeah. So when I went to Springs, um, I continued, but I also um, began to put systems in. But I didn't know what systems to put in right away because as a, I think I was the only pastor, I think we had passed 1,500 and we're approaching 2,000, I believe, before I even hired another pastor. Wow. Only thing really keeping the people coming um, was this beautiful sense of God that was in the services. I mean, the very first service I preached at Springs in their first building, 53 people made a decision for Christ. Wow. And, you know, I'm... We can talk about it later, but I always wonder if these are real first-time decisions or if people are just doing this to reconnect with God. And I know it's the second. But there's something there I think we should value as well. Yeah. And from there, it just, I mean, it just exploded. I would try to get to different uh, leaders. And I would get some crazy things. I would go to their conferences and then try to meet the head guy and just talk to him. Well, 
when someone's got their conference on, they're not going to let somebody they don't know from another country <laughs> sit them down for a couple hours and pick their brain. I, mean, I was so naive. But it did something in me that really helped me. Instead of looking to all of the different church structures, um, and I'm talking even when it comes to elders, presbyteries, uh, all this stuff, voting, etc., I went to the business world. I literally read my way through the Drucker Library, yeah, right. I should never get, and all. And my passion to try to figure out how to grow from 1,500 to 2,000 people. Like, what do I do? I mean, I literally ended up in the hospital twice, and it was an exhaustion. Uh, they couldn't find a thing wrong with me, and uh, mm-hmm. and my dad just told me, Leon, he says, smart up, and you need to. You're going too hard. And uh, so then um, I read my way through that, and all of the and I put into our church a business setup. I didn't put in a deacon system, didn't talk about that. We don't even use those terms. It's foreign to our church. Yeah. And I just felt like I didn't even know what to call an elder because it's a pastor, but a guy's in for life. And what's this? And we all disagree on these terms. Yeah. And why in stages put a business structure in? And today it has incredibly helped our church to such a degree that a lot of my friends with mega churches uh, have sat me down and asked me, could you please help me to put more of a business structure in? Because business has figured this out for hundreds of years. It's true. It doesn't take away from the anointing. It controls the unforeseen. It controls stuff to release Holy Spirit in an even more powerful way, I believe. Yeah, that's very true. I remember the I met you, I think the first time I heard you speak at a, a men's conference. Um, it was within the first um, couple of years, I think, you being at Springs Church. Now, I had just, I was exploring ministry. I came from a very conservative background, and then and then we got into very Pentecostal-style uh, churches, and that's I, I just followed the leading of the organization I was with. And... Um, and I had, but I was craving souls. And then I heard you speak, and you're talking about. And I saw you operate. I think the first night you did a storytelling, and then operated in in miracles, unlike anything I'd ever seen before, and a bunch of healings going on, all the rest of it. But then you started talking about your church, and I was so captivated because I saw the moving of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, I think at the time, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at the time it, it springs within the first three years or two three years of the church, you're averaging hundreds of salvations a month. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, we have pretty much, like right from the day start, we would average in one service about 10 souls. And then there'd be 30 in that service, but that wasn't counting our youth, which would have almost similar right. uh, move. And then in our, in, our, um, in, our kids, in our kids' classes, there are so many people coming that they were giving their lives to Christ. So, yeah, in... In a given month, it would it would really depend upon the things we were doing because then we would do once a month, we would do a special outreach as to whatever holiday it was. So whatever holiday is that month, uh, moms, dads, uh, lovers, you know, grandparents, Irish, Christian, like whatever holiday it was, we would invite everybody out and have a stunning amount of salvations and then try to follow those up. So in our services, I can say pretty much uh, from day one till even today. Uh, we would always, so let's say 10, 20, 30 would be just an average. So times four is 120 just in the one location. Right. Uh, was 120. And that's really conservative. Probably double that if you add everything else in there. But we weren't really tracking those ones. So 
Yeah, and and that that I mean, I was amazed, and I'm still amazed. I mean, it's a, it's amazing, uh, amazing to see. But uh, that explosive growth. I mean, I think the first time I saw you, you spoke twice in a row at that men's conference. One year you were there. And I think the church at that time was 2,000, just over 2,000. Man, you came back the next year and it was like 4,000. And I'm going, wait a second. <laughs> I was like, I was like, okay, uh, he's got my attention. And and it was amazing. And the explosive growth in Winnipeg, I mean, it it got nationwide attention, but it also got worldwide attention. And and many began studying what you're doing and your methodology. And uh, you had a mentor, uh, the late Jack Whitesell, who had, who. I, I mentored me as well, and he was amazing. But he described and he gave uh, a definition to your methodology, if we call it that, and he called it spirit contemporary. So explain to us what spirit contemporary means. Jack Whitesell was a wonderful friend to both of us. And uh, we, uh, he, he would come to my church for the first few years, and we just talked structures and systems because I was so hungry for that. Yeah. And, uh, and I would listen to him and argue with him. And uh, he was so wonderful that way because one time I said, I'm so sorry, Jack. I said, but I cannot get the best out of you if I don't debate you. Yeah. And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, Leon, he says, I want you to. Because he says, I'm learning what God is doing here. And I'm recording this to help others. He was he was amazing that way. He would not only just teach, but he would listen. He was a really good listener. Actually, he was the one that introduced the two of us together in person the first time, which was, yeah, it was awesome. He, he simply told me this one time. He said, I have never seen a church moving in the supernatural. Right. An obvious gifts of the spirit with an obvious flow of sensitivity to the spirit that is so normal and it has such an amazing ability to still reach all of the lost. He said, you don't even seem to focus on one strata. It's not just you. It's not just the hurting. And like any church can reach the very poor and those who are in distress. Right. Because they'll do anything for help. Right. To be able to reach them and then an average person, you know, homes, kids, wives, and then those who are in positions of influence. Uh, he looked around and he just couldn't believe that all of them were coming. Yeah. And they all seemed to enjoy it. And he, that's when he said, uh, I have got to teach this wherever I go. And even at his funeral, they, you know, they asked me to do his funeral. I met these pastors who came from all over the world. And uh, they said that he had helped grow, I think it was over 4,000 churches in all these different countries. And everyone that I met would say, told me, he talked about spirit contemporary yep. why it's needed in the church. He said to me that I really believe that this is something that is, has to sweep the world. And as we talked, we talked about redeeming churches and that there are churches everywhere, uh, but they need to be redeemed. They need, they need to be bought back to soul winning and then discipling in the right way. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, one of one of the things I told him, and he began to think and not disagree. He always we got to plant churches, plant churches, plant churches, plant churches. And I said, you know, I said in my experience of working, and this is later on in the years when he was, you know, the church was well established, and I traveled around the world and taught and listened and worked. And I said, I wish half the churches in most cities would quit, mm. and those who are not called to be senior pastors or who are have no results with senior pastoring would move the money, the buildings, 
the worship and praise people, because you always garner a team around you who feels loyal. But if the kingdom isn't advancing, like if you were to ask yourself, how many great men do we know without buildings and how do how many completely flat ministries do we know with huge buildings? Yeah. And huge followings uh, that nothing, the kingdom is not advancing. So a church is called to reach Jerusalem, surrounding areas in the world. So anyway, I know we got off on that. <laughs> Spirit, spiritually alive, open to all the things Holy Spirit has for us. Yeah. But cool. then when Holy Spirit flows through us, like when I was at the thing that you first saw me, if I just sensed Holy Spirit speaking to me about someone, it was done in such a relaxed way that, he taught me that I didn't need to ramp up emotion to get the supernatural. Yeah. And that if I did ramp up emotion uh, on purpose, that it would short circuit all the best things he wanted to do. Because people are so struggling that if you can get them to worship and praise and you can jump, shout and scream and really put on a show, it seems to transfix people and it seems to help them with all the hurts and the heartaches. And so you have these stunning times of, refreshing, they call it. But I had noticed already that there wasn't any long-term benefit other than needing to come back again and do this again every couple of weeks. And I really wanted a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ who they were moving in the things of the Spirit, sensed Holy Spirit, and his life within them bringing life to their lives. So I I had a bit of a different outlook. Everyone wanted to do bigger and better moves of the Holy Spirit in services, I wanted a church filled with people that wherever they went, they were just so dangerous to the to, to the enemy. That is so good. And and I mean that is what Paul was saying in Ephesians, right? Equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And that's really what you're doing is equipping them to to move in in the things of the spirit, well, you know, in the workplace, in the boardrooms, in the coffee shops, uh, and doing that. In in fact, you wrote a a book on that called The Spirit Contemporary Life. It's an amazing resource. Uh, highly recommend it to everybody. Um, I, I we've been through in our discussions. I've, I've heard a lot of those stories, but man, reading it again, it was powerful. Um, but it's how to reach the the lost effectively without compromising the Word or Holy Spirit. And and I find that a lot of churches, many churches, go too far to one side or, or to the other. So they'll either go to to the Spirit and compromise their reach or they go all out contemporary and compromise the power and the and the presence of god but talk to us about that balance and how you've been able to maintain that balance as a church but i mean personally as well over the last 25 years remind me to mention a believer's services and a for all service when i'm done telling this yeah yeah, for sure um one of the things that the book uh the spirit contemporary life touches on in the opening i don't is a very profound way of looking at something. I was raised where we would bring in special guest speakers and they didn't want to be touching people. They wanted to be protected in the office. They wanted to protect the anointing. Yeah. When we walked them in, they didn't want anyone to talk to them. Uh, often, if someone was chewing gum, it was destroying the anointing. <laughs> if around, it was destroying the anointing. Um, if they didn't have exactly the right song, uh, it was destroying the anointing. And so they would in service say, spit that gun up, ma'am, sit down. I don't want you walking around. God's at work right now. And it sounded right. And so I had this real sense of let's create a service where everything is controlled. People don't talk, squawk, chew, 
uh, change a baby's bum, uh, you know, all this stuff. And then one day as a paramedic, um, in the middle of the night, I was out and we shone the lights into the ditch of a call 40 minutes outside of Winnipeg, where I was at the time. And there's a car upside down in the ditch and a mom was still hanging from her seatbelt and a child was hanging as well. And the other one was face down in the ditch dead. And there was blood in the water. And once the, all the stark lights of the ambulance hit the scene and you see it, it just is imprinted. I can explain every wound, every little mm. moan, what, she sound, what the child sounded like. And then she saw the baby in the water and what came over her. I mean, it's just, it, it'll, if I talk about it, it'll make me tear up now. But as I walked in, something in me cried out to God at the very beginning of being a paramedic and said, God, like, we know how to have the ushers, the greeters, uh, catchers, the worship and praise team. We control the crowd. We control the music. We control everybody's eyeballs, close them, open them. You know, I said, so that we can get a miracle. But I said, Jesus and Peter, and they didn't walk around with minstrels. And they didn't get miracles that way. And here I am. If there's ever a time I need the power of God, it's in this ditch. And I could hear the other paramedics swearing and struggling with uh, the equipment because they're freaking out. I can hear sirens in the background of more ambulances. And then the police came. And, and it's just chaos and loudness and, and swearing at each other. I don't mean in a bad way. I just mean these are men and women focused yeah. on the job. And it's just sounds chaotic and not spiritual. God began to deal with me right then and he began to talk to me about, I'm going to teach you that all of this stuff that you've learned to operate in the things of God in a controlled church setting actually needs to change and become a place for you to mentor how to move in the gifts of the spirit that works on the streets. Right. And so that's, if you were to look at the spirit contemporary life, Everything within there would be different aspects of trying to get people to recognize that someone swearing close to me doesn't stop the anointing when I pray for that woman. Uh, you know, people bashing and making noise and bystanders gawking at me as I'm working. And, of course, you've heard so many of the stories of a gift in operation, whether it was a gift of miracles or a word, of, you know, a working of faith or whatever, that in the front of everybody, they would just begin to operate. But it really took me... Uh, thinking this through and recognizing that I can be spiritually alive and potent for the kingdom of God, but that I had to function in the contemporary world. So in a boardroom, how would it look? Mm -hmm. Like if you preach you're weird. If I say I've heard from God, they'll think I'm crazy. In the ditch covered in blood with sirens and screaming and arguing, um, how would I function there? Holy Spirit began to talk to me about this the manifestation of the gifts so that and how that they were under my control. The gift would still flow, whether it was healing, whether it was a direction to don't take that man out of a broken vehicle that way. Whatever the gift was um, that he wanted, that I was in control, uh, I could, because it was coming through me, the, the, the last manifestation of how it came out, I was up to me. I could twang, I could add Elizabethan English, I could shout it, scream it, sing it. I could just be quiet and let it unfold. Um, it almost didn't really matter in most cases. So yeah. I just developed an ability to work amongst businessmen where no one knew but me and them uh, and in the ORs and the emergency wards. And so then I began to teach people how to use it that way. So to me, that's a crucial issue for the church moving forward. 
That is so, so good. And I mean, Jesus got into the trenches and, and his ministry got inconvenient and messy and he went into messy places and there was a lot of chaos going around at a lot of the times where he was doing some of his greatest miracles as well. So I, I think that is so powerful. That's so, so good. So talk to us about, I mean, in training your church to to live spirit contemporary lives and and also doing services I mean, you, your services on on a Sunday, you're seeing hundreds of salvations a, a month coming in. So, I mean, you're obviously reaching the lost, but you do believer services as well. And that's just further training your people as well. So talk to us about the believer service and, and what, the purpose of that and, and what your thought is there. Yeah, that, that was a really important piece for me. Like I learned from watching many of the great men and women of God that they would do a for all service right. and they would focus on guests. That would be a Sunday morning in many cases. Then Sunday night or Wednesday night, they would call it a believer's service, and they would encourage only believers to come. Mm. And we had done that. My dad and I had done that, um, and I began to do that. And one day, I began to recognize that this was going against the very thing God was dealing with me on that why would I be embarrassed about anything that we're doing in the service? Because these people don't get a choir. They don't get catchers, ushers, greeters, or someone controlling the crowd. They have to go out into the crowds, the workplace, and make it function. So I immediately, well, I kind of thought this thing through, and I changed it. So that now, one of our greatest outreaches to new people is something we call worship and miracles. Right. And what I did was every six weeks or so, we do one of these in Calgary, one in Calgary, then one in Winnipeg. And they have become these incredible services. And we do the things I had mentioned where we'll worship God for a while. Yeah. You know, where we will spend time in the word. And I'm not opposed to those things because we know that we are the temple of the Lord. But Corinthians also says that we corporately are the temple. And so as we worship and as we come together in unity, there is something pretty spectacular that happens. Uh, but I would then teach and talk in a way that anybody from the world would understand it. Okay, yeah. Well. And I would, I would say it in a way, so we use a lot of terminology, like the word anointing is only twice in the whole New Testament. So we use an Old Testament term for something that actually is another teaching, but it's not really correct today. Right. We all who are believers have the anointed one, Jesus, in us, which nobody in the Old Testament had. They had the anointing upon them. So things like that. Like So when I would minister with people, um, even if they wanted to, I'll give you an example. This is a really out there example. A, a businessman read my business column in Calgary wanted to talk to me. And, and so we got together for lunch. Very influential. Nice man. You can see. His, anyway, we sit down. He goes, before we start, Leon, can I ask you a personal question. I said, oh, I'll try. He goes, do you um, speak in tongues? Yeah. Now, I knew right away that he had been turned off by somebody who was not contemporary in their spirituality. Right. And uh, so I looked at him, and Jesus never answered a question according to the question. He always answered the question according to the heart of the person. So I looked at him, I said, no, not the way that you have seen. And he kind of sighed, went, I said, but do you know how uh, Tibetan monks can 
lower blood pressure and heart rates lower than anything and it's proven that they've seen. They can sit in a cold stream that where they shouldn't be able to maintain body temperature and they'll maintain body temperature and even dry their clothes. Yes. I know. I said, you studied how the great Mayo Clinic is teaching meditation and how that it is quickening their healing up times. Uh, is helping them to deal with the anxiety and the stress, which slows down healing up times. Mm-hmm. I quoted a few great hospitals, some of their studies, other religions, and he goes, yes, yes, yes. I said, Christians, we have our own form of meditation. It's a meditative prayer. I said that you can do in English, but then we have a language that the presence of God flows through us. And it doesn't bring our meditation to a nothingness, it actually, because when people get up after meditating on their mat, they're right back to the same fears, their same issues. I said, this meditation actually brings real release and then real strength comes into the area that you're meditating on. And so I just explained how that it clears your mind. It removes the, the, the fear, the guilt, the, the shame, the stuff of the day, and it focuses you in a stunning way. And I'm sharing it. And he goes, that's incredible. Can, can I have that? <laughs> it's actually what you were initially talking about so that would be an example of people would get upset if they ever had me compare holy spirit at a, in a seminary yeah. to tibetan monks meditation in hospitals the new age but i'm not speaking in a seminary i'm speaking to a man who's lost and want answers contemporary is the ability to to communicate to that person how they need to hear it and the situation they're in being sensitive to them. That's how Holy Spirit, when you say he, you open your mouth, he'll fill it. He's just saying, I'm going to help you be spirit contemporary. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, just in that example alone, um, just in that story, you can hear spirit contemporary in that. I mean, you were you were led by Holy Spirit to sense the 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 angle at which he was coming at that question from and being very sensitive to that you're able to be contemporary in your explanation and you i mean you got him to the place just in using contemporary language to where he was asking for the infilling of the holy spirit which is, i mean that that's that's amazing god's working in him you're using contemporary language which is awesome i believe jesus i'll interject one thing i believe jesus was incredibly spirit contemporary yes he was Watch how he handled adulterous. Watch how he handled. He just knew, and, every, and I believe that um, Holy Spirit. That is what he, that is what he's trying. He, anytime he leads us, it'll always be in a spirit contemporary way. He is yeah. so contemporary. That's so good. Now we have we have pastors uh, from all backgrounds and leaders that from all backgrounds, Christians from all backgrounds that are listening to this podcast that are. That I mean, some are coming from, you know, the very conservative, you know, traditional uh, background and they're saying, okay, I want I want to move in more Holy Spirit. I just I just don't want it to get weird. What advice would you give them? Well, there's been a traditional fight that has taken place because I now speak around the world in uh, denominations and leaders who um, praying in other tongues, praying in the spirit and and other languages is not encouraged, talked about, um, or done or practiced. Right. And then I'm also in the t- traditions or in the denominations where a complete history of it is in there. So on the one side, uh, you know, of the real spirit, they, it's always like you must. 
speak in tongues. You must, you must. And then they have all this doctrine tied to it. Like some even believe you're not born again if you don't. And, and yeah. uh, that is the gateway of the gifts. If you don't speak in tongues, you cannot function in the gifts of the spirit. And, 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 and. Uh, then you've got the other side who are going, you mustn't, you mustn't, you mustn't. And these two groups have grown into huge denominations around the world. Yeah. And yeah. still the same thing. Now, my friends on the side who have never touched praying in tongues, this called speaking in tongues, um, you couldn't tell me that Holy Spirit doesn't speak to them, guide them. Some of them are getting people saved at like stunning rates. They have the largest churches in America uh, in many cases like that. Um, and so does God show them things? Yes. Has he guided them and directed them? Yes. Well, that's the Holy Spirit in action. So don't tell me. So Holy Spirit's within them. So there's a whole bunch of doctrinal stuff out there that I don't want to dive into because some of the best minds on the planet, you know, the theologians who speak, you know, Hebrew and Greek on this side argue the theologians. And I have just found this after 40 years of preaching that my friends who have backed away from any kind of, of um, flow of Holy Spirit that they don't really rigidly understand struggle more in their emotional life mm. than my friends on the other side who don't just pray in the Spirit but have a love for the Word as well. Right. Because on, on both sides is a mess in ministry, lots of it. And uh, but anytime I find people that I just sense this glow, this uh, internal joy, this internal peace, um, then I then you'll sense that somehow uh, they practice uh, um, koinonia or fellowship right. with Holy Spirit and in the word. And to my amazement, because of the way I was raised, um, Many of the men that I have met who don't really say they practice speaking in tongues, but have a meditative life in the word and a relationship with Holy Spirit uh, functions way better than the Pentecostals. And I know I'm muddying the waters, but this is really good. And because on the Pentecostal, I don't mean the denomination, but on the charismatic Pentecostal side, We've gotten so excited about external manifestations of Holy Spirit. Yeah. So a miracle, a healing, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. And I believe, and in my case it was, so let me just poke at me, that I was so excited about changing people that I had forgotten that when it says Holy Spirit will lead me into all truth mm. and show me things to come, that it was always external. And a number of years ago, I went through a profound, change within me personally and I begin to recognize that there's a deeper level of believing called the heart and it's as a man thinks in his heart not his head is how he lives right. I begin to recognize the boundaries in my life the things I could do couldn't do struggled with exact were not coming from the devil you know he's been a, a defeated foe he has that advantage of anything that you do, but he has no authority and no real power other than deception. And it wasn't God holding me back. But the biggest battle that I was fighting was the gap between my true self and my perceived self. Wow. And so I began to do the work of meditating in the word, a meditative process mm. to absorb and connect with God's word and asking the Holy Spirit 
to help me to establish my heart in grace, the verse says. And as I begin to identify with, for example, rather than trying to become healed, I was the healed. It was my identity. Yeah. Already an heir of it. Um, when it comes to prosperity, when it comes to growing a church, it wasn't something that I was pursuing. It came out of a sense of identity. That's who I am. That's who I've been created to be. I'm an overcomer. I'm born of God. I walk in faith. I have his word. Holy Spirit is my helper. And so that's that was phenomenal for me. And that's where many of my Pentecostal friends would continue to try to create services or stories of external miracles. And I could see them as well beginning to struggle in their relationships, their time with God. Because if I spend time with God and I connect in this meditative prayer, what that would mean look like to me, uh, I know we're taking a little bit of time. but That's good. It's really good, yeah. What this would mean to me would be today as I did my devotions, and and I'm actually – I don't know if devotions is a good word. I'm probably pretty much all day, all the time, just connected to his presence. Yeah. I could explain that. But as I would meditate on a verse, let's say I meditate on the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, if you confess just the verse about a situation in your life and you don't go into a meditative form of prayer, you are going to increase your doubt. Mm. Because the confession is coming because you don't possess anything, and you're trying to possess it through confessing it. Ooh, that's powerful. But what I found was there's two steps to confession. That to confess God's word is a part of meditative prayer. Right. So it would look like this. If all of a sudden um, I'm believing God for a campus, or let's say that let's get a normal person who wants to speak in front of children, but they're so afraid of public speaking. And, but they know God's called them, but they're sweating and they're almost passing out. And so they take the verse every day, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it never gets deeper than their mind. How do you know it hasn't? Um, first of all, it becomes kind of vain repetition. But in meditative prayer, I would, if I was that person, I would go, Father, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Therefore, I can speak in front of children and teach them the word. And as I teach them the word, it is your strength flowing through me. As I personalize the promise, Holy Spirit is leading me into the truth until the reasoning part of my brain ends up in the picturing part of my heart. Now I'm no longer looking at the things that are seen, which is a fearful person who cannot public speak. But Holy Spirit begins to show me things to come. I begin to see myself speaking in front of children. And them giving their lives to Jesus, and little lives being impacted and touched by the presence of God. This is who I am. I am seeing my who I am in Christ. I am an overcomer. I'm a public speaker. I'm a teacher of God's word to kids. And this verse has changed from vain repetition to powerfully impacting me. And every day as I meditate that way, muttering that verse, Holy Spirit would bring me to other verses and things. But it would always be, but it would always impact my identity at the heart level, because your heart is the seat of your identity. This is where profound change begin to come. So that is so good. I do speak in tongues. Yes. It's my prayer language. Um, and if people ask me, do I feel they should? Yes, I believe they should. Do I believe all the doctrines that have been 
used to bash people? No, I know beautiful people, uh, incredible people that have such a relationship with Holy Spirit mm. and His Word. And the, 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 the real marker is this. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, which is external things. You eat, food and drink is external, yeah. but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so I sense that very quickly. I'm not impressed by external manifestations because anyone that has learned to operate in the gifts of the Spirit but has never found their true identity at the heart level will never make it through life or ministry. They'll crash and burn somewhere. Wow. That is that is powerful, powerful stuff. It's it's amazing as you're just going through that, you know, that meditating on that verse. I think that comes to mind is I mean, God did that with Abraham uh, he, before he ever before he ever allowed him to become the father of many nations. Before Isaac was ever born, he's like, "Come outside, let's let's take a look at the stars." And he he had him put that picture and meditate on this first. And he kept on dropping that revelation to change his identity first before he ever became what God had called him to become. So that uh, that is awesome. So very powerful. What would you say to a pastor who is saying, okay, they're, you know, they're, they're agreeing with you, they're spirit-filled and all the rest of it, but yet they're saying, okay, how do I become more contemporary without compromising? I, I don't want to lose any Holy Spirit. I don't want to step in any of those toes, but how do I become more contemporary? How do I reach the lost more effectively without compromising we're talking about from the charismatic side? Yes, so that's from the charismatic side, yeah. Um, my dad and I, uh, when we pastored together, and then my mom, of course, and Sally, uh, very involved. But my dad and I were more of a pulpit preaching. In every service, we would operate in, the, in gifts of healings and miracles in the services. We could never get a church past at its greatest maybe 300. Right. And yet the miracles that took place in that church, people would come from all over uh, the province, especially from Winnipeg, and they would hear about things and come in from other cities and provinces um, and would receive very unique miracles. And so people say, well, where there are miracles, the church will grow. Mm. And I found that that's not, that wasn't true. Um, and so Jack Weitzel and I one day got to talking about this term called byproductionalism. Mm. And so that if I love people, a byproduct will be they'll give and we'll have the budget that we need. Um, if I teach the word of God, um, people will respond. And we found out that we always think something's a byproduct of, of something. Right. We found that everything that we desired in our church should be specifically gone after individually. So if you so that if you think you teach the word that it's going to uh, cause people to give, well, in a sense, yes, because you're bringing in faith. But at the same time, you will need to address giving. You'll need to be an example of giving. You'll need to make it something special and care, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So now those who want greater things in their church, what do you mean by that? If you want Holy Spirit. Uh, to do more in your service, let's say. He's thinking so that we're preaching away, and all of a sudden, oh, the Lord just told me that the man in the wheelchair is going to walk out of the wheelchair right now. We, again, think it is external miracles. Right. Just ask him a question. If Once you understand the teaching of the heart, and, and all of us teach on heart, but I actually don't mean the traditional teaching. As you look at that once something is settled in the heart, nothing 
can stop what's in there from coming into your, your life. So true. So internal change, nothing can stop the, what's going on internally from coming out external and in the negative as well. That's why in Mark 4, the continuum is to him who has, and you're planting the word in your heart, is the teaching, right. uh, even more will come. To him right. who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Right. If that pastor can begin to get to fellowship with Holy Spirit until within him there are these incredible changes, and then he teaches that way, I believe that that is the most powerful thing because everybody sitting in our churches can see a miracle. Now, if God uses a person who does not know who they are in Christ at the heart level with a miracle, they begin to get their identity from an external manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That's so good. And that is where we had churches being destroyed because a sister who wouldn't touch her husband or go home to her kids for some reason could still minister to people and see, and God would give her a word for someone that was sometimes accurate. Uh, and when her identity became that, that was all she would do is where she got fed uh, this sense of significance. Right. And so everywhere I look around, I begin to see this and in our own church and I would have to shut them down and say, listen to me and uh, talk about this. And so if we can begin to, first of all, help people establish their identity in uh, the death, burial, resurrection, and the ascension, those four quadrants of that, then people are secure in their identity. Only then can they clearly hear on a regular basis and operate in the gifts in a way that will continue to build the church, not just them. That's so good. Pentecostal, charismatic person who has seen miracles. Um, you know, if they know you, they can call you, but I've seen God raise four people from the dead. Yeah. And I've seen him, yeah, I could, I could share miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And so miracles are on a regular basis where we are. But that's not what built the church. That's might what get people's attention. You know, they come because of what you do, but they stay because of who you are. That's so good. They're all struggling. So in every person's life, I would say, when you teach on Holy Spirit, we would always teach on the baptism of the Spirit, speaking other tongues, and then going into miracles. Always would seem to be the only thing we would do. Yeah, yeah. Such immature people. Yeah. <laughs> and so now I'm recognizing that to have a stunning life, the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you into truth as to what disease it is, how to pray for that person externally, which person to marry, which, uh, which business that. He, he does all that. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about leading us into all truth in our identity in Christ. And as we begin to see that those four quadrants, that, that these things are established, it builds your identity in Christ so incredibly strong. Yeah. All the success that you have um, doesn't change you, and you hear him beautifully and wonderfully. And if you lay that as a foundation, uh, and then what will happen is you'll just find that grace begins to flow in your life and they just start to happen easily and effortlessly rather than the great big performance you'd have to put on to get the smallest miracle that is so good that is awesome and just as just for our listeners just to make sure that they caught this because this really stood up to me in, in what you said there but if we if we it's what we focus on and if we focus on 
the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of, of Jesus. That as, as the central message and then flow out of the relationship with, you know, and build on that foundation, flow of the relationship with the Holy Spirit there. As you were saying that, man, that's, that is verbatim Peter's message in, in Acts chapter two and in Acts chapter four. Like, I mean, that's his message continually. Uh, and that's what the early church did. Now we always, the charismatics use that, you know, the book of Acts to talk about the expressions of the Holy Spirit, but we don't always focus on the foundation of what that was built on, which was the message that Peter was preaching, the life, the death, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So that is so, so powerful, man. That's, this has been amazing. There's, we could talk for hours. I know we, we, we have, we've done, <laughs> we do that. Um, and this has been so good. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the program. Is there anything that, that I haven't asked yet that you wanted to get to, or that, that I, I didn't get to? I think for those who um, are listening to this right now, um, whatever you want in your church as a leader, whatever you want in your, in your department as, you know, what, or your, et cetera, you have to be the change. Yeah, it's good. If you'd like a soul winning church, which program should you use? They all work. Yep. What the issue is, that what's in the pulpit you'll have in the pew within a couple of years, if you're the actual leader. If you're not, and even though you're the senior pastor, someone else really is the established leader because they're the influencer, then that will be in the church. And so I tell guys who want to know all of our systems, I tell them, I share Jesus with people every day of the church, uh, wherever I go, and I'll pray with them, and I'll share Jesus with them. Um, and so this is so in my DNA that it is the culture of our church because it's, it's my personal culture. So those are heart changes. Mm. This is a really simple thought, but whatever change you want as a senior pastor in your ministry, as a youth pastor in the youth, be that change and practice it. And then the stories that you can share for real as you share the message, um, has a Found effects on the change you're trying to bring. Get it in your heart first. Well said. That is brilliant. That is awesome. I hope that resonates as with everybody like it resonated with me. Man, thank you so much, Leon, for for sharing your wisdom and your insight. Where can our listeners connect with you online? Because I'm sure there's lots of guys who want to follow you, listen to you, uh, connect with you. Where can they connect with you? We put every one of our, our Sunday services, our, our Sunday afternoon around 11, 11.30. Is it, what time is it, Jeremy? For 10.45, what time? Calgary? 11, sorry, your YouTube, 11 o'clock. Um, it's around 11 o'clock Central Time. Yeah. That they can join a service, the preaching part of it. Awesome. And every service will be on there. A lot of times I do now, I do three-part series in one day. So you're only getting one of them. And you just contact us. We'll get you the rest if you want. But uh, and then on um, Facebook, we put a ton of stuff on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are kind of cool to kind of watch where I'm going, what I'm doing, and you'll see a lot of my, the family dynamics. Yeah. Which, as I travel the world, I can count on one hand um, the marriages or the families that I would want of any senior pastor on the planet. Wow. That's how bad it is. Wow. To watch a senior pastor, what he does, hanging out with kids, wife, grandkids, the things I think is smart for pastors. They think that, you know, that I'm out there just blasting, making this all work. But I, because of 
what God's done in my heart, you know, and I'm working on it each day. Nothing can stop what God has in my future. Yeah. So I'm not stressed about it, worried about it, or trying to make it happen ahead of time. So they can follow us there, and uh, yeah, then they'll find the rest of it. That's so good. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for for coming on the program and sharing with us. It's been amazing. See you soon. What an amazing conversation with Pastor Leon Fontaine. So much in there that was um, amazing and so rich, and, yeah. and you could just feel the anointing all the way through that, yes. which is which was awesome. What was your main takeaway, Tim? The thing that blew me away for it was it was more so in the middle section of it, where he was talking about pastors' kids and and how they get so disillusioned by the church because they grow up in it, and just keeping that awe and that reverence of God that's the same way that his parents had that awe and that reverence. The one thing that he remembered about his parents was just their awe of how good God is, right? And and being able to, you know, pass that down and transfer it to our kids. Yeah, and that's that's really key because he's done the same thing with his kids. All yeah. of his his kids, all five of them, are active on staff yep. in ministry with his church so obviously he's he's done that as well yes. he, he's always inspired me that way and that that's so so good there's for me the big thing that stood out was dealing with the heart and mm. and really working on on the heart issues in us first as a leader and that before we desire the results we got to work on us yes and and that begins in our private time as well so many things in that uh, thank you for joining us uh, if how can someone be a part of the Go team and helping us get this message out and changing the statistics of getting the church soul winning again? How, how can they join the Go team? Yeah, absolutely. We would love it if you would follow us on social media. There's also ways that you can rate and subscribe to the GoCast network and make, leave comments below and let us know that we're doing you know an effective work in in reaching your community as well as what you're facing. Yeah, and join our Facebook group. Uh, our, we're on Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel, so check us out there. And next week, we have another amazing episode coming up with my friend, Pastor Mike Tatlock. I actually, he's a pastor in Portland, Oregon. He's also uh, a chaplain for the Portland Trailblazers That's NBA right. team. He's an amazing guy. And here's a little excerpt from our conversation. And I think that the thing that we have to offer that no other thing in the world could ever offer. No other, you know, Nike's not going to offer an encounter with God. Um, no bar is going to offer an encounter with God. Uh, no school can offer an encounter with God. So the thing, the church that we get to offer the world as distinct as anything else is an encounter with God, that God is in this place. And I think what I'm finding here in the Northwest is people have just been looking for churches where they're welcome to experience God. All right. Can't wait for next week. It's going to be amazing with Pastor Mike Tatlock. Thank you again so much for joining us at GoCast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of GoCast. We hope you feel inspired and better equipped to take your community for Christ. Make sure to subscribe to receive each new episode as it's released. Let's go and break the stat together.